Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends and legal business initiatives that help you manage your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for legal, insurance, compliance, and tools of the profession. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Here's the host of the Legal Toolkit, Jared Correa. Welcome to another very special episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jerry Correa, and in addition to being your erstwhile host for this finely tuned internet radio show, I'm also the Senior Law Practice Advisor with the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org or like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash masslomap. Before we start, I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Clio, for web-based practice management. To learn more, visit goclio.com. On the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so your practices will become more and more like best practices. Today on the Legal Toolkit, we're going to party like it's 1999. We're going back to take a look at some old-school marketing techniques that still have some relevancy today, just like Prince. Joining me now are two great guests. First up, we have a returning guest, attorney Christopher Strang, who is a founding partner of the Boston law firm Desmond Strang & Scott LLP, where he is the head of civil litigation. You can find out more about Chris and his firm at www.dsnslaw.com. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Well, thank you very much, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Next up, we've got Robert J. Simpson, who is the president and CEO of WaveRider Communications. In 2009, after over 25 years in advertising, Rob founded WaveRider. He has an extensive background and includes print and electronic media, including 17 years of television experience in both broadcast and cable. To find out more about Rob, visit WaveRiderCommunications.com. And I just found out moments ago that Rob is an avid bodyboarder. Welcome to the program, Rob. Thank you, Jared. It's my pleasure to be here. All right, so let's jump in on the questions. Um, let's start with a sort of general question. Uh, regardless of whether you're doing non-traditional or web marketing or the old-school marketing that we're going to talk about for the bulk of the podcast here today, how important is it to have a strategy in place? And how does the attorney go about formulating a marketing strategy or even forming a marketing plan? Uh, let's start with you, Chris. Sure. I mean, obviously, having a strategy at all is pretty vital to uh, success as a law firm. And I think the way you do it... Um, is looking where you want to be and working backwards from there. So a year from now, where would you like to be with type of clients that you have, quantity of clients, type of uh, type of firm in general, and uh, work your way back. So how do you get to that one-year point from point A to point B? And, and you start putting things in place. Okay, I need to hit a certain amount of networking events. I need to put out uh, some PR for the firm. I need to have some expertise and let people know that I have some expertise. So you start, you start to build it by starting ahead and going backwards. Set up those goals. That's great advice. Um, so Rob, what do you have to add? I think that's very sound advice. I also think that having a plan is, is critical. You have to have some idea of where you want to go into the future. Um, obviously from where I sit, just as an attorney would advise a client to seek professional representation in a legal matter, I would advocate that someone check with a pro regarding advertising or marketing or public relations or any way they want to grow their practice. Um, I also believe it's very important to sit down and try and have, as best you can, a forecast of what's going to happen. If you can get some idea of 
of what your billings are going to be and what revenue you have coming in, that gives you the opportunity to decide on a, on a realistic, uh, conservative budget of how you, what money you're going to put into promoting your practice. And then by having that plan, when you go out to contact media people and different people to help you get your message out there, if you have a long-term plan and can commit to long-term deals, you can save yourself a lot of money in the long run on your, uh, on your marketing costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having a financial plan in place and a marketing budget is something that a lot of people don't think about, right. but it's essential. Um, all right, so let's now go back to the future. So there's a lot of talk about technology and social media. Yeah, everybody's on that, or they're told to be on it. Um, so why is old school marketing then still relevant? And Rob, let's switch it around and start with you this time. Yep. Well, I think when you look at um, when you look at the new, what people are calling the new media, uh, mobile campaigns and and online media and things. To use mobile as an example. You could have the greatest mobile messaging campaign in the world, but you are not allowed to directly text people out of the blue. You have to be given permission by the user of the, say, cell phone to be able to to get that. If you text a, a comment to a radio station, they'll come back to you and say, you know, do you give us the authority to give you updated information and promotions and different things like that? That's terrific, but you have to be granted permission by the audience to be able to get your message out there. So how do you do that? That's where the traditional media can benefit the new media because you can use traditional vehicles, print, radio, television, any other marketing sources that you have to be able to promote your non-traditional campaign. So I'm a big believer that the lines are blurring more so every day between what's considered traditional and considered non-traditional media because they both can play a very important part in helping someone to grow their practice. Hmm. So you, you say go for the old school networking first and then build your technology marketing platform on top of that. That's interesting. I think it would be a matter of, of having a, um, if you have the plan, you know you're going to be using the new stuff, but you have to have that as part of a comprehensive plan. I guess that's the best way to put it. Hmm. So, uh, Chris, um, any old school marketing techniques that you use in your practice? Try and gain clients or referrals? No, I'm pretty old school in general, Jared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> but uh, I think you have to, you know, start with what is your target market? What sort of clients are you looking to attract for the particular practice that you're in? And you know, what do they use? I mean, certainly social media is great for getting target uh, segments of the population to notice you. But not everybody is on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, and even those that are don't necessarily use it in a way that they will notice the media, the advertising that uh, is available to them. Mm-hmm. So you still have people that you reach through other channels. You know, the old-fashioned going out and meeting people face-to-face at times is, is still one of the best ways to get your clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's talk about some tips for gaining referrals from traditional marketing. Um, so, Chris, how do your strategies differ with respect to dealing with attorneys and trying to get referrals and dealing with ancillary professionals when you're networking? Sure. Well, both have the same strategy of you You want to go into networking thinking, what can I bring to other people rather than thinking of what can they give to me? And, of mm-hmm. course, if you're, if you're going out there the right way and presenting yourself, the referrals will come back to you on both ends. Now, with lawyers, you want to appear non-threatening as a, as a competitor necessarily. Mm-hmm somebody they feel comfortable referring their client on something they have a conflict and knowing that uh, they'll get that client back when the case is over. 
um, and somebody that they can refer stuff to that that, that will certainly uh, be good for their reputation. You know, you take care of the clients they do send you. So I think if you go into it with lawyers, you're thinking, I can refer you cases, you can refer me cases as sort of a, a loose understanding of things. But mm-hmm. but more you help each other out. And, and sometimes when you're working with people on projects, they get to see your good character, you're smart, you're diligent, and uh, and that will matter a great deal and help them to be comfortable sending over work when they have it available for you. With mm-hmm. ancillary professionals, your expertise matters a great deal more. Um, so you want to be able to educate those people in some way and show them that you know what they need a lawyer for. And sometimes you do that with, with different networking opportunities like uh, serving on a panel in a trade association or or going to events that uh, that you could put on some sort of presentation of your expertise and then talk to people afterwards to follow up. So the lawyers are more concerned with, with a trust issue in the and the ancillary professionals are more concerned with expertise, in my opinion. Yeah, good points there. Um, now, when you're when you're dealing with lawyers and you you've sort of developed a little bit of a relationship with them uh, with respect to networking, do you then try to educate them as to the sort of clients you want? Absolutely. I mean, you certainly want to position yourself so that you're not directly competing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, in some instances, yes, you could get referrals from people with conflicts, other lawyers with conflicts, but for the most part, uh, you want to present yourself as non-competing. So. You know, go to a big firm and be the small firm guy that says, hey, when you have a case that's too small for you, I can help you out. If I've got something that's too big for me, you can help me out. That sort of relationship can exist. And, as, you know, it's, it's always good to have in your stable lawyers with every expertise so that when a client calls that you handle something for, you can say, oh, you need a family lawyer. I have this person who is excellent. I have a criminal lawyer over here, trust and estates lawyer over here, somebody that you have go to for all of those things. And likewise, you'd be the go-to person for your expertise. Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about starting a practice because Chris, you just started a practice relatively recently. Yep. And, about a uh, year and a half ago. Yep. Yep. So does it still make sense then for lawyers and law firms to send out opening announcements, uh, those traditional sort of cards that you send out to people saying, hey, I just opened a practice? And is it still effective to publish those in newspapers, including legal newspapers? So uh, Chris has been talking for a little bit, Rob, so sort of counterintuitively, let's start with you, and then we'll move on to Chris. Okay, well, to answer the question about a traditional announcement, the short answer is yes. There is definitely a place for a traditional announcement. Uh, We are in Boston, which is a very traditional, old-school type of market. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to launch a practice and make an announcement, there are publications that specifically deal with legal issues. And those are good places to get your name in there because everybody's there and you need to plant your flag so that people can see it. And that's uh, that's a very uh, very important component of being able to do that. Uh, where traditional print and newspaper reading of like the actual physical newspaper of a daily paper has dramatically declined over the years, there's still a fairly good readership in in the trade magazines and the trade papers where and um, they've also done a very good job of translating over to being online. Mm-hmm. So when you make that announcement, most places if you put the announcement into traditional print, it will carry over into their online version. So there is definitely a place to be able to do that. Again, it also comes down to looking at what your area of expertise and the type of clientele that you're pursuing uh, is going to be reading. If you're looking for old-line, old-fashioned law firms or that type of clientele to do business with, you want to make your announcements in print. 
If you're looking for people who are more on the cutting edge of technology, there's a way to also take your introductory campaign and do it with an email campaign as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point as well. You know, once t- once you get something into a traditional media at this point, there's often a web counterpart. So, very Absolutely. true. Um, so, Chris, when you started your firm, you sent out opening announcements, right? We did, and actually, uh, w- one of the great things about announcements is it it puts you right in front of somebody at that given time. And a lot of times, when people think of referrals or people think of needing a law firm, the most recent message that they saw has the most weight. So mm-hmm. I could have a host of people that may think of me for referrals in general, but when they're on the phone with somebody asking for a, a lawyer that does a certain thing, and boom, there's my name in front of them, it has a lot more weight than if I had seen them three months prior. So like yeah. on, my, on our first day, actually, when we opened the law firm, I had sent out an opening announcement, and within the first hour of opening the doors, a call came in from another lawyer with a referral because he just happened to see my announcement when somebody was on the phone looking for a referral. So it's absolutely vital, and I think it's really vital to keep doing that and not just announcing your opening, but sort of announcing as the firm grows, when you hire people, when you move into a bigger office, when you celebrate an anniversary. All of those things are great excuses to get the word out, and and it just reminds people who you are and that you're there, and it really does carry a lot of weight. Yep, yep, that's a good point. Um, All right, so Rob, let's move back to you here. With the cost of advertising offline, because, you know, you you can advertise in these newspapers uh, these days, but it's expensive because they're not getting as much advertising as they used to. Um, So most of the new attorneys and the new law firms I talk to at least will shy away from that strategy. So on three prongs here, is there still a place for paper-based advertising in the legal field? And we addressed some of that with the opening announcement question. And how about radio and television, which is not a field in which lawyers traditionally advertise, but is there some room for them to do that? Well, as I like to say, um, it's becomes, it is Rob's first rule of advertising is to know thy audience. And <laughs> again, it keeps coming back to that fundamental of who is that person that you're trying to reach. In my career, I have had enormous success with personal injury attorneys advertising on television. They, uh, the best place for them to be is from, say, 9 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, running on various cable networks with lots of frequency of message, because the type of people that they're going after are people who are, quite honestly, home recru- uh, recuperating from being injured. And yep. they, they've had tremendous success doing that. Now, if your practice is interested in going into the high-tech world and helping people raise money from venture capitalists, you're not going to want to advertise at that time of day on the Real Housewives of wherever. You're going to want to be more into, um, as I had mentioned, into technology magazines or, or areas that are tailored to that specific audience. So there is definitely a place for a print component that can translate into electronic There's also a place for a television component in there. It all comes back to that fundamental question of who who are you trying to reach? So how about radio advertising? Do you think there's a place for that for lawyers as well? There is. A lot of times it depends on the market. For example, we are in Boston, which is the seventh largest TV market in the country. And doing Mm -hmm. broadcast television in this market is very expensive. But that market that's so large is also broken up into... I believe it's either three or four or five different radio markets. So if you're, a lot of it depends on geography. If you're in an area where you can get that message across and there's a, there's a, a, a habitually listened to radio station that can get to your demographic, there's definitely a place for radio advertising as well. 
The one thing I do recommend is whatever you do, do it consistently, do it with enough frequency so that the message gets through, and don't give up on it after the first week if uh, your phones aren't um, melting because people are calling you looking for your services. You have to make the long-term commitment to be able to put into it what you want to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you have something there, Robert's Rules of Advertising. That sounds good. <laughs> that I think book, that might have been used that? somewhere else, but Robert's <laughs> Rules of Disorder. <laughs> and we all know that podcasts are a great way to market yourself, of course. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> They're my favorite. <laughs> all right, so we got some good stuff in the first half of the podcast here, but we're going to take a break now so we can hear more from our sponsor, Cleo. When we return, though, we'll have more with Chris Strang and Rob Simpson. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. Well, with cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. All right. Welcome back to the second half of our program. We're once again joined by attorney Chris Strang, partner at the Boston law firm of Desmond Strang and Scott LLP, and by Rob Simpson, president and CEO of Wave Rider Communications. So let's keep riding the waves. So, I know that was awful. Awesome. My apologies. <laughs> so, guys, what sort of value attaches to in-person networking for, let's focus on new attorneys here that are trying to meet senior attorneys to try to engage mentoring relationships, which, you know, they hope will turn into referral relationships. There's still some value to a handshake to seeing someone uh, in person, as we've said. But, uh, Chris, let's start with you. If you're a new lawyer uh, trying to gain some referral relationships, what would be some of your first steps to take? Yeah, ab absolutely important to go meet people in person. But I think that the initial meeting, it's important to realize it's the first meeting and not try to do everything all in one handshake conversation. A lot of new lawyers come out and they, they try to um, 
network and just tell somebody all about themselves and what they're looking for and and put it all in the first 10-minute conversation. And it's a little bit overwhelming sometimes for the senior lawyers to to hear a bunch of new lawyers come up and, and, and talk about themselves a great deal. I think you use a first person, a first meeting with a person to engage in the relationship, set up a follow-up meeting in some capacity, whether it be, you know, another networking lunch or whether you agree to work on something together as sort of a little uh, side project on some committee, but to sort of spread it out a little bit so that you can ease the person into your area. You know what I mean? So that uh, yeah. you have... You, you set yourself apart by being somebody that adds value to that person's life and, and profession a little bit. And if you talk about things that will make make them impressed, um, not with you per se, but that you can do something for them, they will be more mm-hmm. likely to want to do something for you. So yep. if you engage in somebody that's working on a uh, on a particular paper, for example, publishing uh, on a recent case, offer to help with that, uh, and they will always be grateful for help, and then there will be somebody that thinks of you for referrals when you are building your own practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. And you think bar associations are a pretty decent way for new lawyers to get started meeting people, huh? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Boston Bar Association in particular, uh, where I'm yep. a member, but also several others. Um, you know, because you break down into practice areas and committees, and, and you get to see where the people with different interests are, and then you can target the networking that you do at the groups of people that you're most interested in uh, in working with. Yeah. All right, so Rob, let's turn to you. You're somebody who helps attorneys who are starting practices. You're somebody who founded your own business. What tips would you have for somebody who's just starting out, who's new, who's uh, trying to do some of this old-school marketing? Well, I would completely agree with Chris where he talks about he's looking at it from the getting involved and immersing yourself in the legal community as a a new practice or just starting out. And I would take that and look at it from the the perspective of client development and how you get yourself known into the area. And in addition to the Bar Association, which I think is a tremendous resource, I'm a big believer in the Chamber of Commerce as well. Mm -hmm. And and, um, my my motto when it comes to the Chamber is half the battle is showing up and the other (laughs) half is not quitting. And if you can get to as many events as possible... It gives you the opportunity to get to um, to meet as many different people as possible in different businesses, and that's how you get the opportunity to develop those relationships. Uh, one thing I have learned in my time in doing this is that they do not teach advertising in law school, and <laughs> and, sure and with that, you get people who come out in one of two scenarios: you get people who come out and they're starting a practice, and they really don't know which way to go, or you've got the other person who has spent say, five or ten years working 80 hours a week to get to become a partner in a firm, and then all of a sudden they say, congratulations, you're a partner. Now you're responsible for X number of dollars of business to come in the door because you're a partner. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know, like I said, don't know which way to turn. And the best thing to do is take a slow and methodical approach. Go to be consistent in going to events. Get your face known. Start to meet people. And don't go to a networking event and try and get 25 to 50 business cards. Go to a networking event and very organically and naturally have conversations with people. Come away with four, five, or six people that you've met, had a nice conversation with, and then within 24 to 48 hours, follow up with an email. Ask them if they'd like to grab a sandwich or have coffee and talk to them a little bit more about their business so that maybe you can help each other. 
And those are the meetings, you know, that five or six turns into two or three meetings, turns into maybe one person that turns out to be a great networking contact. And if you did that every week of the year and took two weeks off for vacation, you'd make 50 tremendous networking contacts in the course of a year. Hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. where the relationship starts. And then if you can help them, great. If not, you're, you're being exposed to their pool of people that they know and it, and it, opens up your world tremendously. I like to call that manual LinkedIn. Hmm. I like that. <laughs> it was LinkedIn before LinkedIn. Yes. I think this is how uh, Fred Flintstone made his bones when he was trying to rise through the ranks of the uh, Water Buffaloes Association. Jared, can I interrupt you and ask you, uh, for, just wanted to add that for the solo practitioner, new lawyer, what are the great ways that you can uh, enhance your relationships with more senior solo practitioners is to utilize their expertise for your clients. In other words, a lot of clients are attracted to the lower billable rates of a junior lawyer, um, but they really would like some expertise. They feel a little safe with the senior lawyer's uh, years years of practice. And so a new lawyer could, that has some clients or potential clients could come, with, come up with a deal with the senior lawyer handles some FaceTime and negotiations and going to court perhaps, but the new lawyer does the underlying work to prepare for these things and give the client a little bit of the benefit of both and then uh, the new lawyer is assisting the senior lawyer and getting mentoring at the same time. Yeah, good point. Excellent point. I hope my uh, Fred Flintstone comment wasn't lost in the ether because that was money. Um, all right, guys, we have time for one more question here. Um, so should attorneys and law firms decide to market exclusively in non-traditional or traditional modes, or do you think that there has to be an effective blend of the two options? And uh, do you have examples, Chris, in your practice and Rob from the attorneys that you've worked with about how to do so? You definitely have to blend these things. Um, You can't ever look at one exclusive way of doing advertising, which again comes Mm -hmm. back to that rule of, of knowing who you want to go after and what type of clientele you'd like to develop for your practice. But I think that the lines have blurred so much, and as I've said, are blurring more and more every day, where newspapers have online components, that it's starting to become more homogenized every day. And you have to look at each individual advertising vehicle on its own merits and figure out what's going to be the best thing for you and how you can, and how you can grow your practice uh, accordingly. I think that's, um, that's a very important thing to, to do. I know that... Um, what was it, almost 100 years ago, radio was going to kill newspapers, TV was going to kill radio, cable TV <laughs> was going to kill broadcast TV, the internet was going to kill television, social media was going to kill what we thought of as internet advertising, and here we are all these years later, and they all still exist, and they're all still functioning, and they all have value depending on what the advertiser is trying to use uh, and what type of message they're trying to get out. So I think it's very important to look at all of those um, as part of a mix. If you go with one, you shouldn't go exclusively, say, traditional or non-traditional, and within that, you shouldn't go exclusively with one form of advertising because the more you do, it all uh, forms a nice big circle and you get more value that way. Great. I mean, fortunately, we're not splitting time between horse and buggy and cars, but That's true. <laughs> as long as the analogy works in, uh, in advertising, we're good. Uh, so, Chris, do you have anything to offer on that point? Just a couple of quick points on that, and I think you know, it's a constant experiment. So you're putting some effort into, say, your LinkedIn efforts for a while and seeing some return on that, so you put more effort into that. If you if you see that that's not really paying back, you move over, you know, to one of the more traditional methods. And so, you know, 
you got to be monitoring what's getting results for you at any given time. But you also want to be concerned with the consistency of your message because a lot of firms, they'll set up a website at a given period of time and they'll do it a certain way and then a year or two later they'll send up a, a LinkedIn page and an entirely different person will set it up with an entirely different look and, and different sorts of content in there and it just doesn't look like the same firm. And I think mm-hmm. one of the key things to do, and, and it's often best to hire a professional to do these sorts of things, um, is to make sure that your your various forms of advertising, marketing, uh, PR for yourself looks like it all belongs to the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that consistency is, is an important thing, especially with the changeover that uh, we see a lot of times in the law firms. That's a great point. Um, so that'll do it. We've covered a lot of ground here. And uh, in doing so, we've come to the end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit. Remember that you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And my special thanks today goes out to Chris Strang and Rob Simpson for taking the time to appear on the show. Chris and Rob, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you or your companies, how would they go about doing so? And I uh, will start with you, Chris. Sure. Again, I'm Chris Strang from the law firm of Desmond Strang and Scott. We handle all of your business needs, and our website is www.dsandslaw.com. Well, that's good that you got your website right after I screwed it up. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> and Rob, how about you? We are available at waverider.com, which is with two M's, dot com. That's the website. And we also have a Waverider Communications page on LinkedIn where you can get all information about our services. We handle advertising, public relations, social media, everything to help people to, um, everything that we can do to take this burden off of someone's shoulder so that they can worry about the practice of law and other things pertaining to their practice and growing their practice and, um, and let us take care of the details and sift through all of the confusion that's out there today. And coming soon, branded bodyboards, right? Yes, yes. We're always looking to expand. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coming thanks, guys. Jared's comedy it. show. <laughs> Thank you both very much. I thought this was a great show. Uh, and everybody out there listening, don't forget to join us next time when we'll have yet another great internet radio program right here on the Legal Toolkit. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Legal Toolkit. You can subscribe to the RSS feed and hear Jared every month right here on The Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.